there are sounds that are a part of your memory. Um, you know, the song from your childhood, we sung a song, uh, Lead Me to Calvary. And that song is etched in my, my brain, but whenever I hear it, I hear a little ding. I don't know if anybody else hears that. Um, how many remember Jewel Miller film strips? Does anybody? Remember Jewel Miller film strips? Uh, now, some of you are like, what in the world? This guy is old. Um, I never used, I'm not old enough to have ever used them. I was, I'm just old enough to have been forced to sit through them. Uh, so film strips, some of you are like, what is a film strip? Um, so if you picture uh, like a, a sewing machine box, right? And every preacher that I know had a sewing machine box. I'm like, what in the world is this thing? It was right, right next to the, the bookshelf. And they, they, they'd take this and a tape recorder. And some of you are like, what's the tape recorder? Um, and, and we'd go and we'd have to go to somebody's house where they were going to do a Bible study. And they'd get this thing out and they'd set this up. And they had, oh, they had the, 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 the little projector thing, the, uh, the uh, screen. And put that up there and they set up the thing. And, and they'd roll this tape into this thing. And then they set up the tape. And then we would proceed to go through uh, four or five series of, of Bible studies, right? And at the end, there's all this melodramatic mood music, which was Lead Me to Calvary. And as there's the last couple of slides, you're advancing the slides, and it kind of fades in slowly. And, then, and how you know to turn to the next, you had to manually turn to the next picture, each one. Right, so, so whenever I hear, lead me to Calvary, lead me, ding, right? so I can't get that sound out of my head. It's, it's like 40 years later, I cannot get that sound out of my head. It's just a part of that song. Uh, there's another sound that is a part of my childhood. Again, I will show my age. But now, some of you more, maybe, maybe if you're 30 years older, I'm going to do a very poor impression of this, but, but some of you will remember this sound in the days before, you know, all, all these cable television and, and video games and everything. Some of you will remember a voice from your childhood and it came on your radio and you, you heard this voice and it said uh, something to the effect of, hello, Americans. Right? You remember that voice? It was, it was a, a little bit more better than my voice, but it said, you know the news. In a moment, you will hear the rest of the storm. Right? That is a part of my my growing up. And again, there wasn't a whole lot of entertainment back then. But but you were riveted at whatever twelve to twelve thirty uh, on the East Coast anyway to, to waiting for the news and waiting for I didn't even care about the news, but I wanted to hear the rest of the story. Right. Uh, and so for those of you who have no idea what that is, um, it was basically a four-minute anecdote at the end of, uh, of, of the news cycle, which would be read by Paul Harvey. And, and he tells this dramatic story, and you had no idea what it was talking about. Some guy or some person did some really neat thing, and, and he would hold off the identity of whoever it was until the end. Right? And then it was like, wow, that was so-and-so. And, wow. and I, there's still some that I remember to this day. I mean, those are in there. I can remember where I was when I heard some of those. Right? That was such a part of a formative part of my childhood. And the reason I say uh, some of these things here, we look at some of the titles in the New Testament, the, the titles of Christ. 
And, and we're talking this month about some of the titles that, that really show us the connection between Christ and the Father and Christ and us uh, that make that connection. And, and there's titles that you look at in the New Testament and, and, and when you look at them, the same titles in the Old Testament, here are these people going for thousands of years and they have an idea of who they think this is, or, or the, you know, and, and that was like kind of the whole Paul Harvey thing. You try to guess who it is. I wonder if it was that. And you'd never guess, right? Uh, and here's all these people. They have an idea of, of this title. And, um, and Jesus in the New Testament says, that was me. And wait for the whole rest. Now you know the rest of the story. And that, that was what Jesus was spending his time doing. He, like, I am this, I'm that. This is, this is a description. There's 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 names. And, and we start to learn that what they were learning in the Old Testament, they, ha- they really didn't understand the full scope of it. And Jesus says, that was me. Now you know the rest of the story. And so we're going to look at a, a strange announcement. Jesus, you know, sometimes um, we, we looked last week at a very dramatic announcement of a name, right? Here, here Jesus is baptized and, and God calls out and says, this is my beloved. Right? That's pretty dramatic. This is, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry had a different announcement that was much different, much strange. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, immediately there was in their synagogues a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have, we, uh, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked them, saying, be silent and come out of him. So, so here, quite, quite different from God speaking out of heaven, Jesus allows himself to be introduced by a demon. Kind of interesting introduction. And, and then he says, okay, now you off the stage. Right? Alright, you get out of here. You did your job, now, now leave. You know, when we, uh, when we, you see people being announced by somebody, we pick people, you know, uh, you see a Hall of Fame inductee or whatever award ceremony there is. You know, and here's going to be this guest of honor and we're going to introduce him and we're going to, and we pick, you know, some some other great person to highlight. And we'll go through his, his life and his accomplishments. And he's getting this award for this great humanitarian thing or whatever. And we, you know, we kind of want somebody up there that, you know, we like and looks nice and presentable and, and honorable themselves to do this. You know, we're not going to hey, some bum off the street and come introduce our guest of honor. And Jesus hears the guest of honor and he allows a demon-possessed man to come introduce him. Here it is. Jesus. Kind of a strange announcement. Uh, but he announces himself as <clears throat> the Holy One. Now, thank you and leave. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what he tells you. But I want to stop for just a second and not focus on the guy who announces him, but I want to focus on the audience. Because... When they hear Jesus addressed as the Holy One, this would challenge a lot of their thoughts. Because the Holy One, they would have perceived as a title of God. And we've talked about how really, you know, we focused on His deity in the, in the first month that we did this. And we, we said really all the titles address His deity. When they hear Him announced as the Holy One, that's going to challenge 
There's also, but this is not just a, this is not just Christ announcing himself. This is someone who knows him beyond this realm, beyond this earth, who knows him prior to or apart from, however that, that works, knows him on a different level and recognizes immediately who he is. Oh, what do we have to do with you? What are you doing here? We're here. What's going on? The Holy One. So let's look at what it means to be the Holy One. He said, well, isn't it kind of obvious what it means to be the Holy One? So we're going to go back to the Old Testament for a little bit because this is where their idea of the Holy One, those concepts, where was that formed? That was formed in the Old Testament. And so when Christ comes and He's now the Holy One, they're going to have to kind of rethink things. They're like, oh, that was Him. All that whole story was being told like a couple of thousand year long episode of Paul Harvey here. They go through this whole long thing and now Jesus says, oh yeah, that was me. I was the Holy One. And so let's look at the Old Testament. <clears throat> Isaiah 37. And Isaiah references the Holy One quite a bit. Uh, we're not going to look at them all. Uh, it says, Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the Lord and you have said with my, with my many chariots I have gone up to the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon to cut down its tallest cedars and its choicest cypresses to come to its remotest heights its most fruitful forest I dug wells and drank waters to dry up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt and so he's criticizing here people who thought that they really did all the things that happened on their behalf and God says no that was me the Holy One that was the one who did all that. And the first constantly, and he, he kind of criticizing them, of the Holy One, the concept that they should have had is that the Holy One is elevated. He's higher. And, and he says, you've, you've raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights. In other words, you, you, you're like, uh, one of my favorite books growing up, Yertle the Turtle, right? Dr. Seuss, Yertle the Turtle, and here's this, here's this turtle, he's building up this little mountain all the way up to the sky, and here's this thing that's higher than me, and he wants to get higher than the moon, and he wants to get high, 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 high. And that's, that's basically what, what God is saying here, you Yertle the Turtle. You think you're so far up there. You've lifted up yourself up, you think you're on my plane. I am elevated. I am the Holy One. I'm superior. And, and so they start to think of themselves as God's peer. As they, we, we can be mentioned in the same sentence. Well, we did this and look at what we did. And we tore down the, all the, the, the cedars of Lebanon. And we did all this and we defended ourselves and we built our own defenses. God says, no, you didn't. The Holy One did that. The one who is elevated did that. And that's the first concept of the Holy One. Uh, the second one, Proverbs chapter 30, I like this one. Um, this is the words of Agur, the son of Jacob. Now, this is most of Proverbs written by Solomon, but right towards the end there's a section where there are some written by other men. It says, The man declares, I am weary, O God, I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely, I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man, I have not learned wisdom, and I have not knowledge of the Holy One. 
Who has ascended into heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? And who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. So, so the first thing we see here is again this, this idea of being elevated. But he takes it just a step beyond that. And the second concept is that Christ is unattainable. You're trying to hold wind. Who's grabbed wind? What? You can't do that. It's not just that he's too high. It's that he's unattainable. His, you, you, can't, you can't fathom him. You can't, you can't even think on that level. We often want a God that we can explain. Well, and, and we get into debates about things and we try to explain, well, what about the Trinity? Explain the Trinity or explain this, explain this. I can't do that. It's unattainable. I don't want a God that can fit in my brain. If I have a God that can fit in my brain, He can't help me. Because He's no bigger than my brain. And my brain, I think, can help me most of the time. Right? We, we, we have a problem, we start down and say, okay, I've got to figure out a problem, right? Some of you are working companies and you have lots of people under you and you have things you have to do and, and you get a problem. And you don't go, yeah, that's not allowable, right? You're supposed to figure those problems out. So we're used to thinking we have to figure out everything. Got this. You can't. And Edgar says, the more I think about it, the more stupid I feel. The more I try to attain God in my brain, the more stupid I feel. I feel like I'm not even smart enough to be a human. The word holy means, has a lot of definitions. It means sacred or set in a special place, set in a high place, set in a, uh, not just over here, but, but set somewhere special. And the concept that he's trying to get at, and I've just been doing this series for myself, one of the things I've noticed is that, and maybe you've noticed this, is that the more we try to answer questions, the more questions we're left behind with. Right? Like, now I don't really understand that. We try to understand what it means to be the Son. And it's like, oh, I'm kind of a little bit more confused than when I started writing the sermon. We know from, from the New Testament some basic concepts. And we can, we can say, okay, this means this. But I can't grasp it. I, I, I can't even, I can't begin to comprehend it. Look at this phrase here. There's, there's a subtle thing here, right? Uh, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, the Holy One? And what is what? His son's name. Wait a minute. How can Jesus be the Holy One? This is talking about the Holy One. So he asks, who's the Holy One's name? And then he says, what is his son's name? Well, then that would mean that the Holy One is the Father. So the Holy One couldn't be Christ. And yet, here we come to the New Testament and, and Christ says, I'm the Holy One. More questions than answers, don't we? Doesn't make sense to me. Why doesn't it make sense? Here I am, I'm Abraham. It doesn't make sense. So I can't explain this to you. This doesn't mathematically work to me. I would love this to make sense. It doesn't. 
because it's a thought above me. It's elevated and it's unattainable. I'm never going to be able to understand it. Neither you. Christ says, just accept it. Because <laughs> you won't explain it. So, now that we know what we can't know, right? I can't know it. We, we, we began this whole series talking about how you have to know something about him before you can know him. Well, we haven't even figured out step one here, and now we're going on to step two. You ever do that? You ever like putting something together and you? I don't understand that. I'm just going to skip to that. I used to do this making models, right? When I would make models, I just wanted to get to the cool parts, right? I wanted to get to the cool parts, which were either clear or chrome. <laughs> that was what I wanted to get to, like windshields. And things. and so I'm like, uh, and I was, I was a little kid, and my brother was great at models, and I wanted to be great at models. So and I, I just skipped past all the stuff and the motors and all the stuff that goes inside, and I just have a gluey mess by the time it was done it kind of sort of resembled something that might be a vehicle. And just I skip steps and go to the next one. That's kind of what we're doing. We're skipping the step because I don't understand it. So we're just going to go on. So since we, we're trying to know something, okay, so how do I know the Holy One? And we're presented with a couple of paradoxes in this as we look back at our, our last one. So first of all, we, be, we began this whole thing talking about the, the concept of knowing somebody. The difference between knowing about and knowing someone is your degree of familiarity, right? Your intimacy. You can know some facts. Oh yeah, this person likes this kind of food. She likes pasta. He likes hamburgers. Well, those are facts that we know. We want to get beyond that. We want to know somebody. God says, know me. Not just know about me, but know me. Do you know me? And we have these paradoxes because what did we, we look at? The first thing, we said intimacy. How can we have intimacy with what is unattainable? How can you have closeness if, God is in a, if Christ is unattainable, if He's the Holy One, and that means He's way up here and you can't get there, how can you have intimacy with them? That's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Well, First Peter 1 Verse 15 and 16 says, But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So, so the first thing he says is it's not really about information, but it's about a closeness. You do something with somebody, it brings you closer. He says, Be holy, for I am holy. Be more like me. That brings us closer. But now we now have the second of our paradoxes out of this passage, which might be obvious. How do we elevate ourselves without starting to put ourselves in His sphere? Wait a minute. He alone is holy, right? And now I'm going to start to try to be holy. And I'm like, I'm bringing up my eyes, lifting up my voice, and I'm yertle now. I'm holy. Look at me. I'm holy and Christ is holy. So how do we do that without violating that concept that we already established. This is really hard. It's more questions than there's answers, I'm afraid. So I want to look at how I think we reconcile these problems. I, I think that the, the, the Scriptures teach us just three things 
to try to reconcile all these problems as best as we can comprehend them. Alright? So, reconciling is, first of all, in Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> we reconcile it with an action. It says, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life, it is corrupt through deceitful desires, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, so, so we're putting on the new self in Christ. So we're not trying to attain a holiness that is separate and would rival Christ. Right? I'm not saying, well, I will be holy on my own. Christ got there and I'm going to get there. That, that's not how holiness is achieved. My holiness is through putting on Christ. It, it, it's not a rival and I'm going to look at and lift up myself. That's the, the first thing. It's an action. Putting on Christ is a command. It's not a passive thing that happens to me. Many churches are premised on the concept that this is a completely passive behavior. Or that's, that's a, that in and of itself is an oxymoron. Uh, you can't have a passive behavior. Uh, that this is the, a passive thing that happens. Like I just sit back and something magical happens and now I'm in Christ. It's not passive. It's a command to do something. Now this doesn't eliminate uh, the necessity to live right, putting on Christ. I can't do it on my own. So therefore I don't have to do anything. No, there's a holiness that comes through Christ. There is an action that is necessary. There's a second thing that we're going to look at is an attitude. So, so we have an action. God says there also needs to be an internal attitude along with that. Uh, in Isaiah 17, 7, 7 and 8, he says, In that day man will look to his Maker and his eyes will look on the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands, and he will not look on what his own fingers have made, either the ashram or the altars of incense. So, so the attitude uh, is this looking to. This is a, an attitude, and he says, uh, you know, there's this concept of, of rejoicing in what is special, what is higher than me. I'm not so excited about what I've done. And that's the necessary part of this. Can I, can I not get excited about the things that I've built up? Oh, look how great I am. But get excited and, and rejoice because of the righteousness that I have through somebody else through the Holy One. So that's the attitude. And then the third thing, which is a decision. Now it's kind of sort of all in between there. But in Hosea 11, verse 12, he says this, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies and the house of Israel has surrounded me with deceit, but Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. And so, knowing somebody entails being faithful to them. Huh? Are, you, are you faithful to the things that you know? Right? 
you go somewhere, and like, I'm not used to this. Right? There's a whole bunch of restaurants. You, some, some people don't like to try new stuff, right? And uh, so here's a bunch of, I'm in an area, and I don't know these restaurants. You see a restaurant, you know. Go, that's familiarity. I'm going to go there. Right? So a lot of you guys are overseas a lot, right? You're like, I'm overseas. I don't know about this place. This is kind of questionable. I'm looking for something I recognize, right? Because I don't know. Some people love the new experience. And give me the fisheye head soup or whatever. I don't know. Point me to the burger king. I know what's in that. So... I want familiarity. God says, be faithful. Be familiar. This is familiar. You somewhere you Familiarity breeds faithfulness. It is a decision. The problem with our relationship with God is that it requires maintenance. In other words, it's just like every other relationship, right? We sometimes can get so familiar that we think that we don't have to maintain it. Like, yeah. But you, you have to maintain relationships. We can be so familiar that we, we think and, and take things for granted. And so, so all of these things are necessary. See, if, if we're doing step two, that will help step three. If we're, if we're doing that part where we're, we're remembering that God is the Holy One and, and that, that we're rejoicing in what He has, then then we don't take it for granted and we become faithful. See, these, these three things all, all help each other out. So, uh, you know, the job of a preacher is very tricky. I want a message that has peace, for one. You know, it, it, it's easy to, to write a sermon and uh, it has some nice things, some funny anecdotes and, and we can all leave and but if it has no, as one, one of my teachers says, if it has no teeth, you've wasted everyone's time. Um, it has to have application. So, so the job of a preacher is to, to look out and say, man, here's a diverse audience. There are people from all backgrounds, and you, you want to find something that hits the most people in a, in a real way without wasting people's time. Some messages, just by their nature, will miss people. It's the way they are. But our job is to try to deliver a thought that applies to as many as possible. And, and so when I do these last slides, I try to think of questions that, that bring in something that we can all go home with. So I think I nailed it. Oh, I did not that. What is the need of my relative position? What I mean by that is this. Everybody in this world has a relative position to the Holy One, to Christ. Everybody, it's like uh, if you think of the universe, and if there was a center of the universe, right? Well, let's just say our solar system, right? At, there's, there's something at the center, and every, everything in that solar system has a relative position and, and can be addressed from, from that perspective. The Holy One has a, a relative position and, and, and we all, no matter where you are this morning, look at Christ from a position. 
What is my position? Um, I'm good where I'm at. I'm good. Some people view it that way. And so maybe maybe that's true. I don't know. Um, some people kind of Pluto. It's way out there. We're in the orbit somewhere. Just kind of going around and steady. I'm steady. I'm always going around. I'm always in the orbit. But maybe a little cold. Um, some of us are Halley's Comet. You know, I'll get really hot, and I'm, I'm here, and then, uh, you know, 76 years later, <laughs> I'll be back around again. Uh, we we kind of do that orbit, you know. Some of us are, what is that, Neptune? That's just kind of off a little bit, right? Or one of those is just off. Uh, we all have a relative position. Maybe you are Mercury. Maybe you're just like hot all the time. We all have a relative position to Christ. And so, so our job is to look at where I am and say, what is the need of my relative position? Maybe I'm cold. Well, maybe I need something to heat me up. Something to pull me in closer. And we, maybe I need uh, more faithfulness. Maybe, maybe I kind of do this a little bit more. Maybe I have that Haley's Thomas thing going, because says, you need some more faithfulness. Maybe you're Mercury. Well, we've talk, talked about something that, that addresses that as well. Everybody, everybody leaves with something this morning. Just as well, they'd be thankful. Rejoice that you are in the Holy One. Rejoice. Just, just be thankful that you have that from Him. Or, or maybe, you know, maybe say, maybe you're way out there. Maybe you're kind of cold. You kind of have an orbit. You kind of know about. You think about every once in a while. This is warm up. This is make a decision. Make an action. Do an action that puts you in Christ so that you can have His holiness. Because if you're over here, you're not going to get there on your own. You're not, you're not going to try to make your own way. It won't, it won't get there. You're going to crumble under your own weight because we're limited by, by our own mind. We're, we're limited by what we can't, we can't do. We can't do what the Holy One does. You know, a demon recognized that. He recognized that intrinsically. He said, what do you have to do with me? I'm limited. I'm not even worthy to be here in the presence of the Holy One. What do we have in common? We don't, sometimes we don't even have the, the, the vision of, of the demon that recognized that. We think we can build ourselves up here. There's only one Holy One. He's the one that's been there the whole time. Uh, and so, so whatever your need is this morning to evaluate your position, whether you need to just be thankful for where you're at, whether you need to be more faithful or whether you need to, to make that first decision, we all have something uh, this morning that we can, we can leave with.